Welcome to the Find Your Leadership Confidence Podcast with Vicki Nedling. You are about to discover impactful lessons that help you grow as an individual, grow your confidence, and find the positive and good within you, so you powerfully and authentically become the best version of yourself. Be sure you visit our website at www.findyourleadershipconfidence.com. While you're there, subscribe to us via your favorite network. Now tune in, get ready, and enjoy the journey of emerging as a leader of exception in the 21st century. Welcome everyone to the Find Your Leadership Confidence podcast. I'm your host, Vicki Nethling, coming to you again from Roswell, Georgia. The goal of this podcast is to bring topics and guests that will empower you to grow as a confident leader and take your business or your life to the next level. Today, I am very pleased to have as my guest, Tanya Luna. And let me tell you about Tanya. Tanya was, um, is the co-founder of Life Labs Learning. Try to say that a few times. <laughs> Author of The Leader Lab, and co-host of the podcast, Talk Psych to Me. She is a researcher, educator, advisor to alt protein, which I'm going to have to find out about more about that, startups. I, In my mind, I think I know what it is, but we'll find out. And partner at Columbia University's eLab, an accelerator for entrepreneurs who increase equity and access in education. So she has her company, Life Lab Learning, Life Labs with an S, Learning. <laughs> and that company has helped 350,000 people at some of the world's most influential companies, including TED, as in TED Talks, Yelp, Tinder, Slack, Reddit, JetBlue, and 2,000 plus others. She's become more confident, more competent, and compassionate as a leader. And that is what she teaches you in her e-learning labs. She has this podcast that we mentioned, this talk psych to me. I love <laughs> I love, love that. I'm glad that your first reaction is to laugh. That's a good sign. Yes. Because it blends humor and psychology, which always should go together to help people get more better at being people. Our title for today's episode is How is your leadership changing post-pandemic? And it has changed, if you hadn't noticed. Please join me in welcoming Tanya Luna. Hey, Tanya. Thank you so much. Hear, hearing uh, hearing that uh, description of who I am makes me realize I probably need to summarize myself better. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, I just want to make life better for people and animals. And mm -hmm. I apply psychology and research to do that. Bottom line. Bottom line. Yeah. Bottom line. <laughs> so we always start with an easy first question, which is where do you call home? Oh, and that's not a psychology question. Yeah. That's not a psychology question. I have had people like 
contemplate with the concept of yeah, you're giving me a, a minor <laughs> existential crisis. <laughs> Where do you live? <laughs> so we actually just recently moved to a town called Bangor, Pennsylvania, which oh, is oh yeah, you know it. I'm uh, like even people. Oh, I'm you're from, from Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh. <laughs> even people in Bangor are like. Why are you here? Like, how did you get here? But uh, yeah, our closest neighbors are horses. And, you know, I, I'm from Ukraine originally. I spent the most of my growing up in New York City. So this is very different. I live with my husband and a bunch of rescue pigs and goats and dogs and a cat. So uh, yeah, this is where home is now. Awesome. So did husband get you to Bangor, Pennsylvania, or was that just a choice? <laughs> No, I, you know, I don't know. The, the like Zillow.com got us to Banger. We, <laughs> <laughs> we were not looking for a place in Banger. We were looking for enough acreage for our animals <laughs> at the time. So we moved from Manhattan to uh, a little bit further up north and accidentally broke our zoning laws without realizing it because we uh, adopted these two pigs. Pig. I knew it. I knew it. <laughs> No, we were allowed to have pigs. So I checked, I triple checked, but then we also got some goats. And then it turns out there's only so many animals you can have. So we just started looking for acreage and Banger found us. <laughs> so that's how we're here. It was you know, fate. priorities. <laughs> it was fate. Yeah. You mentioned that um, you are an Ukrainian immigrant. So I want to first start you had done a TED talk that, listen, everybody, this TED talk is 1.8 million views. Yes, 1.8 million views. So I'd like for you to just detail what that TED talk was all about and the power of perspective. Mm, sure. Uh, yeah. So it's kind of an odd little TED talk because it's more of a, a story than, you know, talking about my research or, or talking about my findings. But what I ended up talking about was the core of it is the story of when we first moved to the U.S. Uh, from Ukraine. We came as refugees. We, I had no idea how poor we were. And so moving to the U.S., even though we were staying at a homeless shelter, we actually, my entire family thought we were staying at a hotel we didn't know that until 10 years later when we wanted to book a room at the hotel to celebrate our 10 year anniversary in the U.S. And they were like, what do you mean book a room? <laughs> so, so that was kind of, you know, one of the, the major uh, kind of life lessons for me was the power of perspective nothing is what it is it's only what it is by comparison and you know we we one of the stories that i tell in the talk is i think i haven't watched it to be honest <laughs> and, and it was a while ago but i think one of the core stories i tell is uh, i found this penny in the closet of the uh of the shelter and we it was like a very nice shelter we had our own room there were there were like rats and things but we again we had indoor plumbing sure. really the start of your pets <laughs> yeah that's true that's true I, I do love rats so uh i found this penny in the closet and i just remember being like oh my god i am i don't know like i have a fortune what can i do with this penny and i remember going to my grandmother and we were like what do you think we can buy with this penny like what's possible with this penny and i was like how could someone have lot like left this piece of gold you know in 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 this closet and and to me that moment has been so important growing up and 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 becoming increasingly you know more lucky and, and fortunate in so many ways it is so easy to forget 
yeah. those those pennies that that make us these these incredibly wealthy people and to me what's important about my upbringing and in many ways the good fortune i've had of growing up poor is that i get to look at everything in life with the reminder that it's all about perspective yeah. and it's all about those those tiny fortunes that are all around us that are most important particularly when we're feeling most unlucky and and yeah. most unfortunate i i just had that same conversation with the earlier podcast today where it, you know, happiness is, is relative. You, and if you just appreciate what you have now and your needs are met, and then everything else is just gravy or, or icing on yeah. the cake. And I will say like, there's, there's a downside to the perspective I've been holding on to in the sense that sometimes you do just have to let yourself feel really miserable. <laughs> you know, I think in, in my efforts to be like, no, 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 life is better. This is great. I am so lucky in some ways that has led to me kind of dismissing the negative emotions when I do feel really terrible about whatever misfortune I have, even if that misfortune ultimately is still so much better than where I would have been. So I, I've since then learned maybe a little bit more balanced perspective of you have to find those pennies that make you feel fortunate. But when you feel unfortunate, that's okay too, to listen to that voice and, and to give yourself the space and time to feel it and to learn from it and to honor both aspects of your reality. Yeah. It's just like failure. You have to fail to know success yeah. and appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And I, I try to remind myself that whenever lately, my life mantra has been life doesn't go as you expect. Sometimes that's good. Sometimes that's bad. Oftentimes we can't tell the difference. Yeah, that's <laughs> so, true. so I read that you became an entrepreneur at 16. <laughs> How did that happen? And you were a videographer? That's right. So, so how did becoming a videographer impact your career? And, and also, I think, to me, someone that's into photography, videography, has a different perspective on life, too. Like how you, how you look at things. And I know I'm going into the psychology piece, but I'd like to, to venture in that. So first, let's just talk about how it impacted your career. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I, I would say, I don't know, if I, I did start random little side businesses even before that. This is my first like well-paying gig. <laughs> it got me through college. Yeah, I paid for college through awesome. you know, this job that I had when I was 16. So <laughs> I was in the advertising club of my college. High, of my, high school? Of my high school. Oh my God, right. It was my high school. We had, it was an advertising club, which was a strange club to be a part of, but it <laughs> pumped me up. I was like, I am going to go into advertising. This is what I want to do in my life. It is so exciting to be able to tell that story that's going to be compelling to people. So I make myself business cards that because I'm 16 years old, and this is back when you couldn't just like go to some website and order, or maybe you could, but I just didn't know about it. Um, I like hand wrote. Oh, cool. <laughs> and I don't know, I had like, it took me like hours to create five <laughs> business cards. Uh, and the advertising club, we we won the advertising contest that's across, you know, across yeah. high school. 
And so I show up because I know that there are going to be these people who are, you know, like adults who are there as judges and as supporters and stuff like that. And I'm handing out my little business card and stuff like that. And I think it's an idea person was my, was my job title. It was like, (laughs) idea person and organizer or something like that. And I happened to meet the founder of a company called Snippies that was filming. They were hired to film this event. Mm-hmm. And the only reason I go into detail there is because I, I, one of the, my lessons learned in life is that you can't predict how the future is going to go. Yeah. You can't, I don't think in this day and age, you can create that 10 year plan for yourself yeah. or that or know what you're going to be when you grow up. I still don't know mm-hmm. <laughs> what I'll eventually be. So I end up meeting meeting uh, the founder of Snippies and, and he was like, hey, you're a teenager. Um, we need to interview teenagers to learn about how they think and the, the way they make purchasing decisions and, you know, how they feel about these changes in, you know, government and news yeah. and things like that. So they were like, do you have a camera? And I was like, mm, no. So basically they lent me a camera so that I can do these um interviews like market research so very much connected to psychology yeah, right. um, market research interviews i made enough money to buy my own camera and i went on to work with them for years actually and i would just come up to people on the street as long as i was young and, and um innocent looking enough i made so much money <laughs> i eventually got i think old enough that i couldn't stop strangers on the street but when you're 16 <laughs> people stop and i talk to my friends and i talk to their friends yeah and go everywhere with this video camera <laughs> and um it really made me actually fall in love without realizing yeah. it with psychology awesome. because I got to learn about how people think. Oh, so cool. So now videographer <laughs> looking through that lens of the world, mm-hmm. how has that impacted you? I think listening, you know, it just teach it. You literally, I ruin a take by talking as someone who's interviewing people <laughs> and I I never even thought about this until you asked this question, but I think it really taught me to deeply, deeply listen and observe Mm -hmm. because not only did I need to capture the individual, I needed to ask a really good follow-up question so that I can kind of, you know, expand the scope of the conversation. So that's probably the most important thing. And, and in many ways, it is a skill that carries through in every single conversation I have, particularly in leadership roles, because it is so easy to start talking and stop listening. And that's where most matters to fully understand, not just what people are saying, but what's beneath the thing that they're saying. Yeah, that's so true. I do a, a, a webinar on keeping pace in whatever year we're in, you know, I change it every year, but <clears throat> pace stands for persistence, active listening, mm-hmm. courage, and empathy. And I, uh, you know, I teach how important that active listening is Mm -hmm. as you're an interviewer, as you're, it's any aspect of your life. Yeah. And I I think, especially in, as an entrepreneur, you, you want to jump right in and tell everybody about what you do, what you do, but it's more important to just introduce yourself and then go right into Now tell me about you and listen to what they say. And then you react to what they need as opposed to telling them what you want to give them. Yes. A hundred percent. Cause it's not about what you want to say. It's about what they need to hear. And (laughs) if you ask those questions, if you're really listening, then you're saying something worth hearing in the first place. This is such a sad reality, actually. So 
my company, Life Labs Learning, mm-hmm. we do leadership development, team development, yeah. and used to have a listening skills workshop that we cut from our menu because <laughs> too few people believed that they needed listening skills. Yeah. And actually, so one of the ways that we've gone about developing our content is we uh, started off by interviewing managers and leaders who were rated as most effective and those who were seen as average. And we asked, what do you think, you know, is responsible for the results that you get? Turns Mm -hmm. out no one knows. So we needed to actually start (laughs) observing them and looking at the specific behaviors. But one of the things I found funny about it is that everyone, no matter whether they were great or average said, listening is so, so important. Mm -hmm. I'm a great listener. But if you ask their teams, hey, is this person a great listener? There's no correlation between whether most people think they're great listeners and whether other people perceive them to be great listeners. It's like a wildly undervalued skill because we think it's just not Mm -hmm. talking, but it's so much more than that. What I find it's, you know, I'm all about lifelong learning. And I I find that that skill is one that you never really truly achieve greatness in. I think it's it's just something that you have to keep on honing, Mm. especially because you're talking to so many different people, uh, you know, we and what they're saying you have to li- you have to listen to really the words behind the <laughs> excuse me the words behind the words right yeah and, absolutely. and and then asking more questions yeah and just when i think i'm really really good at it and i get cocky i screw it up so yeah, i know <laughs> i just screw it like my my husband i've been married over a decade you would think by now i would be really phenomenal i teach listening skills i study listening skills don't get me wrong i think i'm getting better but if you ask him he would be like I don't know. <laughs> you know, yeah. he was talking and he was upset about something and I could have just listened, but I went into problem solving mode because yeah. I care because it's painful to see someone suffering when you think you have a solution. And so even with the best intentions, right. we forget to listen when really that we can't help until we fully, A, until we fully understand and B, even more importantly, until the person feels fully understood. Right. And I think that's where a lot of managers and sadly, you know, a lot of people that are in management now are new, you know, they Mm -hmm. don't, they don't have mentors or anything yet to help them. And so they're your, your quickest thing is I don't have time to listen. I'm just going to tell you how to fix it. And that is not a great way to, to really grow your, your team. Yeah. It's sort of, you're putting, uh, you're picking the short-term fix right. over the long-term improvement. And the, the problem with that, this is often in, in our field referred to as management debt. You know, you're, you're sort of, mm-hmm. uh, you're doing this thing that's going to cost you less in the moment, right? It's like, you're, you're just yeah. paying off the minimum interest on your credit card balance, but that debt is going to grow with interest. So every conversation you have where someone doesn't feel heard, where someone doesn't feel respected, where someone doesn't feel included, where someone doesn't feel understood, that piles up and piles up and piles up and Mm. doesn't even have to pile up that long. It really, it's it's exponential. And within weeks, months, Mm. you're seeing erosion of trust, of productivity, of you know, the person's willingness to stay in the workplace. And even if they do stay, do you really want them to stay if the relationship is is so ruptured? So I try to think about it that way. Like don't pay off the minimum credit card balance if you can just afford even a little bit more. You know, a lot yeah. of what we teach is not about getting it perfect. It's about asking 
one or two additional questions, really high impact questions. Mm -hmm. So it's not like I have to spend hours and hours in this sort of leadership skills mode, but quality can trump the quantity and then you don't have the cleanup later on. And you're, and you're really giving life lessons. You're leading by example. Yeah. Yeah. You're modeling it, which Mm -hmm. then becomes part of what is normal across the organization. That's one of the things that I think is so um, it's, it's both scary and exciting as a leader. There is so much power that in a leadership role, people don't realize they have to Mm -hmm. simply model what's normal. We, the way that we learn as human beings is incredibly social. And Mm -hmm. the fastest form of learning is you're just observing others. Even when you study things like phobia, um, (laughs) phobia reduction, you know, the single most effective way to reduce someone's experience of phobia is to watch someone who is scared of something little by little by little become more comfortable with that. We're that's how socially programmed we are. So Mm -hmm. in the more power and influence and authority someone has, the more powerful and sticky that social (laughs) observation is. So to be able to demonstrate that publicly, whether it's listening or asking questions or giving high quality feedback, things or anything like that, you get to do it in that one instant. And then you have that multiplier effect of people being like, oh, this is normal here. This is our culture. This is how we do things. That's so true. So what are three success keys for recruiting, retrain, retaining, and engaging your employees during the great resignation (laughs) or, or through any tough time? You know, we, the great resignation is the, is the, you know, the word that we're using today, but I've been in business a long, long time. And, and it's just another cycle that we're going through. Yeah. Yeah. So, so say that again. So three keys. Success, success keys. Yeah. Recruiting, retrain, retaining and engaging employees. Which people struggle sometimes with all or one. Yeah. 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 Okay. So I'll start with, uh, (laughs) what would be if I had to pick three, three, three success keys. Um, number one that particularly so many organizations are going through turbulent times, my organization included, like it's, it's rough in our economy, seeing companies kind of panic, figuring out, Mm. you know, how much do they want to spend? Do they want to hire? Do they not want to hire things like that? I think the thing that leads to the greatest amount of stability in times of turbulence is incredibly clear alignment on what is the mission of the organization. Oh, God, yeah. Mm-hmm. I think when you talk about recruitment, tension, engagement, without understanding the why of mm-hmm. what we're doing, why do we exist? It is incredibly difficult to attract mm-hmm. the right people, to have people feel excited by what they're doing and for those people to stick around. And mm-hmm. so often we focus on kind of mm, further down the line aspects of trying to improve an employee experience, you know, whether it's benefits or, uh, mm-hmm. you know, um, social activities and events and all of that is important. But if you don't have clarity of mission for any organization, it is incredibly, incredibly difficult to have the kind of organization that people are attracted to and want to stay and, and yeah. be a part of. Um, so that's kind of broad. And then I would say the, the the micro level behavior that leaders can develop to get good at making mission front and center is at Life Ops Learning, we call it the link up skill. Mm-hmm. And the link up is this 
this tiny habit of just no matter what you say, linking it up to why that thing matters. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that this, the, a macro version of that could be here are objectives for the year and here's how they link up to our company mm -hmm. mission. Uh, a micro version of that could be, hey, I'm giving you this feedback and here's why, here's the impact of oh, this yeah. behavior that I'm pointing out, whatever it is. Um, so broad, what's the organizational mission? But micro, what is the purpose or what is the why behind anything you're asking or anything? Yeah. So I'll pause at that one key just to get your reaction to it. And then I'll, <laughs> I'll think up some other cues. So I think that's so true because you you really have to understand the why. And and I know whenever I was um, supervising or managing folks, I I always tried to learn what their job was so that I could help them understand why and how it related back to the mission. Mm -hmm. When you know that, it's important. And I think sometimes when we do orientation with folks, you know, we give them their badges and their passwords and things, but we don't really explain to them, you know, what their role is and how it impacts the bottom line. Yeah. When, um, when I started with UPS, I worked for the management committee and I spent two months before I met any of them mm. learning about them and what they did. Wow. So that whenever they first met me, I could get right down to work for them. Wow. Talk about listening. That's like institutionalized systems for helping fully understand even without yeah. words being shared. Wow. That's really powerful. What you just said also made me think of even just getting a chance to understand, like you said, even at the role level, what is the impact of my work? Mm -hmm. um, there's research that shows that when you give people visibility, particularly if you get to hear from the end user, like, yeah. you know, let, let's say from, if it's UPS, from the people who have like just received this package that they've been waiting for and have been so excited about or nervous about or whatever, um, what research shows is that not only does that increase people's effort, it also leads to significantly higher results. There was one study that looked at call center employees mm -hmm. in a university, and they got a chance to hear a five minute like talk from a student who was the beneficiary of the money they raised for a scholarship and increased their fundraising by 400%. Oh just my gosh. Five minutes. I mean, that is a really, really high impact. So overarching, what is the mission? What's the why? link up as the kind of the habit, mm -hmm. the skill, and then a wonderful practice is to regularly give people those dosages of here's what you're doing. Like what you're doing is yeah. paying off. It is just so important for, for our, our species. Um, the other key that I would talk about is uh, I, I'm, I'm going to borrow a term from an, an amazing writer um, thinker from the 1920s named Mary Parker Follett. And she had this framework of talking about power as power with versus power over. Ah, so yes. I mean, it sounds like you already get it, but it's like, yeah. usually within organizations, you know, you're thinking like leader, um, I am going to like, I think now more and more we're, we're stepping away from command and control, but still it's so deeply ingrained, like manage and direct and, you know, all this kind of very much like the organization and the leaders within the organization have the power over the people in the in this in the space. Power with is much more of a coactive power. It's like we are going to increase the power, not just empower, like let me hear your perspective and then not actually apply it. But how am I actually going to increase the power, the decision-making authority, the autonomy, the 
contribution to the shaping of our mission and vision and strategy and things that usually you would only think about the executives doing in some secret room. So amplifying individual power, um, mm -hmm. kind of reducing the hyper concentration of power and just the, the hands of a few small people so that it's um, power is distributed more broadly, which ultimately then amplifies the power of the entire organization. Absolutely. Power is just the ability to get things done. Mm -hmm. So if you see these organizations with great ability to re recruit, retain, engage, so much of that comes down to, is it an organization that ultimately makes everyone who joins feel like they are doing this together versus it's being done to them? So yeah, yeah. this together versus two, do together versus two, I think is is incredibly important and underrated. Um, but once you have that organization that people co-build with you, mm -hmm. that is incredibly hard to leave because you're like, this is mine, you know, it's exactly Ikea effect. It's often referred mm -hmm. to. Um, so being the collaborator and the contributor, um, mm -hmm. as opposed to just a cog in the wheel. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, and then I would say number three is it's got to be about learning and making learning front and center. Obviously I'm super biased. I have a company that literally has the word learning in it, life labs learning, but you know, people need meaning. They need that sense of power and autonomy, and they need that sense of constant learning and progress. And if I'm joining an organization and it is making me better and stronger as an organization, as an individual, not only does that help the organization that makes me want to stick around. It's like, if you're watching yeah. a good show and things keep changing and there's like a new plot twist every time, and you're like, oh, I'm following this around along, you know, you don't want to stop watching that show. So in the same way, individuals, for the most part, want to find those organizations where they're going to feel pulled, you know, they're going to feel that sense of personal progress, not just task progress. Um, and so, you know, tactically, that looks like organizations where feedback skills are widely mm -hmm. shared and feedback happens regularly. It's organizations where there's a ritual of pausing to say, what can we learn from that? Mm -hmm. Organizations where there's investment in individual skill building versus just executing their skills. Ideally, as an as a member of this organization, you feel like amplified and uplifted in your capacity every single month, every mm -hmm. single year, which then benefits the organization so much because you have individuals who are growing alongside with you and can achieve these amazing things because of the investment that you made. So sure. I would say mission, sharing power, and creating a learning organization. And and when we talk about the the change in pan post-pandemic, there's a lot of rebuilding going on from people to, you know, revenue and, and all. And I th think, sadly, something that we need the most is still something that is often not thought of as you're rebuilding, and that's mm -hmm. the training and the learning. But it's so needed. It, it's Join just, me on my soapbox. <laughs> yes, it is just so needed. And, yeah. you know, that's one of the reasons why I, I came out of retirement to do stuff like this is because you have to have sources somewhere. And, and I think a lot of businesses, corporations thought, well, it's up to you to get that education, that self-development. Right. But if you want to have a, a movement, if you will, I, I think it has to come from the corporate it, and they, you know, they need to demonstrate 
how much they value and benefit that new skill that you're learning and you're um, actually getting to become an expert in. Absolutely. And I, th- I think there's a, uh, both a demonstration, I think there's kind of two, two bangs for your buck, so to speak. <laughs> One is if as an organization, I am investing in learning, I am showing care and investment in the individual. And then two, yes. I'm actually getting skills within my workforce that Absolutely. is going to, you know, lead to agility and resilience and the ability to innovate and produce amazing things. Mm -hmm. And I think that unfortunately, especially when it comes to leadership skills, team skills, inclusion skills, things that seem so human, they seem so natural. And so, so often I think what organizations do is they go, people will learn, they'll figure it out. Like they'll learn on the job. They'll learn through experience. Well, (laughs) that would be great. But the reality is that experience is a very mean teacher you know it's, mm-hmm. it's a mean and confusing teacher because the stakes are very high people burning out people yeah. not being able to fulfill the, the purpose of their role people feeling hurt all this kind of stuff a the stakes are high and b you know experience is confusing I, like someone quits I I can't tell it's not like stubbing your toe and you're like oh I will not walk into this table again or I will not touch this hot stove again the feedback isn't there. So right. someone's leaving you, you don't know what you did three months ago to, to cause that. So I think we just really have to professionalize our approach and create more sense of urgency around these <laughs> skills that, you know, were considered nice to have that we're increasingly seeing, especially since the pandemic are just non-negotiable. If you're going to yeah. be working with people, you need people skills in the same way that if you're going to be flying a plane, you need plane flying skills. <laughs> And, and that makes a, a great point, again, in this time where your companies are scrounging to find people, and, and it isn't the time to just get a, a body, you know, the, the skills, you know, there's skills that you can teach, you know, the software things, but you really want to get that person that has the right mindset and attitude and, and job I guess, uh, etiquette mm. to, to want to work because right now everybody is working pretty hard. Yeah. And, and, and I would say that, that what you're describing, the right mindset, the, the, the desire, the attitude, I think it's a lot less rare than most people think. Oh, I know. I think most people are like, well, where do I, where do I get these strange individuals that are motivated <laughs> and that, you know, have integrity? And it's like, that's actually most people if you create the conditions for them. That's why one right. of the yes. in our book that we wrote recently called The Leader Lab, How to Become a Great Manager Faster. One of the things that we really wanted to start with is what is even a manager today? Because mm-hmm. as a manager, ideally, I'm not managing people. No one really wants to be managed, but ideally I am managing conditions and managing yes experience around what it's like to be in this work environment. And if I'm managing the person, almost definitely they're not going to want to show up with that zest for results. If what I'm doing is I'm I'm serving as kind of a facilitator Mm -hmm. to connect this individual's very natural desire to achieve results and to make a difference with, you know, kind of the tools and resources and experiences that they need to be able to do that, Mm -hmm. then I'm going to have a much easier time finding the the right people because there's so many. I mean, I don't think I've ever met a person who hasn't been driven by doing something meaningful, being of service. And 
you have to just make sure that you yeah. convey to them what they do has yeah. meaning to you and the organization. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We could probably spend an entire 30 minutes talking about just this one subject. You know, it's it's an area that I know um, a lot of folks struggle with and and it's just so important. You know, you can't sit in your office, shut the door. And if you have a remote team, that does not mean that you never talk to them unless you need a report. Right. It's the relationship building is just so key in this post pandemic where we are remote in most cases, which, hey, I love, but that means I've both parties, you know, you can't just all say, well, my boss never calls me. You know, you are the other side of that coin. Um, mm. I think that the, the word relationship that you used is so key. I've been thinking a lot about that as organizations or companies are just a bunch of relationships, yeah. dynamic relationships, right? It's like mm-hmm. the relationships I might have with my coworker, the relationship I have to maybe someone who has the authority to make decisions about the organization. Maybe we've yeah, never yeah. met, but there's a relationship, you know? Mm-hmm. And and I think in many ways, uh, the being at a distance, it's just like long distance relationships. They're a little bit harder. You have to be much more deliberate. You know, you yes. have to put in that extra effort. They can absolutely work, but you know, it, you have to, you have to be explicit and deliberate versus mm-hmm. hoping for those things to happen <laughs> accidentally. Yeah. So based on the 2020 Life Labs learning study, what differentiates those best leaders in times of extreme uncertainty <laughs> like a pandemic? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So we're, you know, for context, we're always trying to study our own clients and, and learn what are the patterns here and what are the things that we're finding. One of the most um, distinct uh, fi- kind of characteristics or behaviors of leaders in times of uncertainty is finding ways to create predictability, even Mm. in the midst of (laughs) chaos, chaos. Yeah. (laughs) And so what we found in the leaders that we studied is often that looked like saying, Hey, I'm going to send an update about what's going on every week on Tuesday at 2 PM Eastern, like so much specificity, even if that message says, I don't yet have any information to share. So kind of certainty of, uh, when the message will happen, even mm-hmm. in the absence of certainty of information. So things like that. Um, you can also create a sense of certainty by saying, hey, we don't know yet what decisions we'll need to make, but here are our decision criteria, or here are the metrics that we're looking at, and let's look at them together so that it doesn't suddenly feel like we have all the information and you're sitting here as employees vulnerable and, and waiting and, and yeah. wondering. So that shared metrics, shared decision criteria, um, predictable cadence. And then one of the things that we noticed that was particularly interesting in communication approach is people really taking the time to say, here's what we do know, here's what we don't know. Yeah. I think that just that practice, right? Like here's what's known, here's what's not known. I think it's so much pressure for leaders to go, I have to know everything. I have to have all the answers, but you know, you're probably working with adults. You know, these are people who have grown up lives and grown up responsibilities. So often organizations tend to kind of, I think, underestimate the ability Mm -hmm. of adults (laughs) to be able to show up, you know, responsibly. And so being able to say these things, we're going to try to figure them out. And we have certain beliefs about them, but we just don't know yet. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I I think just owning 
Sorry, I smacked my microphone in my excitement. <laughs> I think just owning what you know and, and what you don't know is 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 so, so important. Yeah. Um, and then I think that number two that really stood out is around emotional accessibility. Uh, that doesn't mean that, you know, all you're doing is is crying in, in front of everyone and sharing just how miserable <laughs> you are. But there is um, so much power in being able to not just talk about the facts, but acknowledge the emotions that are in the space, acknowledge your own emotions, be able to show a variety of emotions, saying things like, here's why I'm feeling really hopeful. And also I'm feeling really tired. And I recognize that you must be feeling tired too. And, and we're going through a scary time and just having uh, a, a, what we notice in these leaders is a broader emotional vocabulary. Mm-hmm. And and what that does is creates a, it creates a sense of psychological safety for mm-hmm. others in the space to go, oh, right. We're not just robots producing results. <laughs> we're humans feeling things and, you know, having the space where you can name those emotions in mm-hmm. so many cases actually allows those emotions to, you know, turn into something more productive and constructive. Otherwise we're just stewing with those feelings all the time and, and feeling kind of oppressed by them versus feeling served by them. The emotions are there for a reason. Like Mm -hmm. if I'm feeling stressed or if I'm feeling anxious or scared, I don't need someone to tell me not to feel those things. (laughs) I need to back to listening. I need to feel heard and I need to listen to those feelings and go, okay, I'm anxious. What information do I need? Or yeah, exactly. Right. I'm, 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 feeling nervous. Okay. So what uh, can give me a better sense of security or confidence or comfort or or whatever it is. So creating some space for the emotional aspects of change. And I can go on and on, but those were the two most distinct findings. I'm serious. We have to have another podcast because I I have far more questions to ask than we have time. So we're going to just actually pivot to the rapid fire and Oh, that wasn't rapid fire. Okay. Let me no, let no. Me get, me and, <laughs> and, and, and we, um, we are Absolutely. going a little long, but I think that it's okay. People will forgive us because it's been so engaging. A day in the life of the pigs, the goats, the dogs, the cats. Tell me what, what a day in the life in your home looks like. <laughs> okay. Wake up when the sun comes up uh, and, and, you know, thank goodness for daylight savings, but, uh, cause before it was, <laughs> we're getting up, you know, in the dark, uh, in, and, uh, feeding, uh, cleaning sheds, uh, changing water bowls in the summer, changing mud wallows because pigs don't sweat contrary to popular belief. So they need mud to, it works as sunscreen. It works as bug repellent and it keeps, <laughs> it keeps them cool. Um, provide a lot of affection, a lot of belly rubs for the pigs. Pigs love belly rubs. Goats love scratches on the face and things like that. Uh, make, make humans breakfast. And then, uh, then at 10 o'clock, all the dogs and goats and pigs, there's a, a feeding and a walking and all that kind of stuff. And then at three o'clock, there's an hour, another walking and, and feeding and all that kind of stuff. And then by the time the sun is down, then everyone's kind of tucked in the indoor pig. We have outdoor pigs. We have indoor pigs, the indoor pigs, when they get tucked into bed, they get covered with blankets and we turn on lullabies because they love lullabies. So that's uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm trying to keep these answers short, but a lot of feeding, a lot of cleaning, uh, a lot of, you know, kind of making sure everyone's going in there. It's like directing traffic kind of, cause there's over <laughs> 20 of them <laughs> all together. Uh, and, uh, and a lot of love, uh, which I think is, you know, yeah. both, both ways. It's man, I don't think I would have gotten through 2020 without all those yeah, animals. For sure. 
because it's just it's that moment to just the simplicity and 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 beauty of we don't have to put words to it we're just communicating and here and present with each other unconditional love that's what that's what pets bring us so how are you bringing people instructions for human kindness rooted (laughs) in research and play yeah i think of that as kind of my my guiding principle i think you know we we often forget that humankind has the word kind in it and uh you know fundamentally we humans are pretty good i think there's a there's this there's this belief unfortunately that has become ingrained in how we perceive our species as like fundamentally broken and the research just doesn't show that the research shows that most people are empathetic and curious and compassionate and that's stuff that you don't have to teach you see it in toddlers you know you see so many of these very um relationship oriented care and compassion oriented behaviors that are deeply rooted in who we are and so much of where our fighting and fear comes from is actually our passion for it's actually empathy based because i'm caring for for my community and I'm caring for the people or individuals that I feel responsible to. And so I just really believe in changing this narrative about ourselves as this like fundamentally horrible for the planet and, and horrible for each other, because it doesn't have to be that way. And we haven't been around all that long, so we'll figure it out. <laughs> but I think a big part of figuring it out is, you know, getting rid of this kind of concept of us as fundamentally flawed and just saying that we're fundamentally adaptive and we are currently, you know, the fit between us and the world right now isn't there yet, but it doesn't mean that it can't be if we Mm -hmm. can adapt and we can learn and we can expand the circle of our caring from just who is closest to me and who is part of my immediate community and who is my species even to just really seeing ourselves as members and communities of of this of this planet uh and then all of the the natural um kind of mechanisms are already there it's just like pointing them in a slightly different direction so <laughs> i think about you know a uh, part of my purpose is to help reshape this vision and understanding of of who we are as a species and and be like it's not enough to just say it's okay we can do better like we're pretty good we need some tangible tips so mm-hmm. a lot of my work focuses on the research and the tools and the um the the kind of pro tips of okay we want to be better communicators we want to be better collaborators i don't know anyone who doesn't but how do we get there what are right. the skills that that get you there Right. And that's where comes my pace comes into place. You got to be persistent at your endeavors. I love that. How can people learn more about your book, The Leader Lab Mm -hmm. and business Life Labs Learning? Yeah. Um, So I I, I peppered in a couple of kind of uh, tips and tools from that book. Uh, You can check it out. I'd, I'd imagine anywhere books are sold. I'm, I'm, I'm told uh, definitely online or independent booksellers, check them out. It's called The Leader Lab, How to Become a Great Manager Faster. And then if you're looking for training uh, work, we do live workshops, we do, we provide digital tools. Our goal at Life Labs Learning is just to really accelerate people's nice. ability to have those skills that are going to produce really meaningful results and create those wonderful workplace environments that we all want and can have if we have the skills. And that website is life labs learning three times fast.com. 
So just to make it easier for you, we're going to share my screen. So this is where I would ask those that are just listening in to grab that pencil and paper. Yes, I said, grab that paper and pencil and we could um, give you her information. Okay, so again, her site is Life Labs with an S, learning, L-I-F-E, capital, uh, that's capital L-I-F-E, capital L-A-B-S, capital L-E-A-R-N-I-N-G, lifelabslearning.com. She's on social media. She is LinkedIn as her name, Tan <laughs> Tanya, T-A-N-I-A, D. D. She threw a D. I know. I tricked you. <laughs> I threw a D in there. Tanya, T-A-N-I-A-D, Luna, L-U-N-A. And then her Instagram, she threw us way over the edge here. <laughs> and she's the Lania Tuna, L-A-N-I-A, T-U-N-A. She switched out those first and last letters. Yeah. So uh, totally. <laughs> my secret uh, identity. Totally has some humor in her background for sure. And she started to talk to you a little bit about her book, but um, again, she has here where you can get her book. Are you going to read that whole link? Uh, no, I, I am <laughs> not. So I will tell you those that are just listening in, if you go to the YouTube or my website, you will see this information posted there and you can do a screen scrap, a screen scrape. Oh, I like screen scrub. Screen scrub. Yes, it kind of goes with the Lania Tuna. <laughs> yeah, Lania Tuna. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, um, and if you're interested in the podcast, it's called Talk Psych to Me. Ooh, yes, nice. Talk Psych to Me. All right. So the book is The Leader Lab Core Skills to Become a Great Manager Faster. All right. Get that screenshot right now. Well, it's been wonderful. Uh, we went that full hour. So uh, bonus, bonus, bonus. <laughs> if I, if I, I hope been, if you've been listening, you've been listening in double speed. So yes, they, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> Save your time. But we've, uh, Tanya's given us some great tips, some wonderful insights and tools. And I encourage you to please go to her website to be able to learn more and to, um, expand your own personal learning so that you can become that manager faster. <laughs> and with that, as always, I encourage you to remember that life is a journey and it's up to you to enjoy the ride. This is Vicki Nettling signing off. Thank you for tuning into the Find Your Leadership Confidence Podcast with Vicki Nettling, where we share impactful lessons that help you grow as an individual, grow your confidence, and find the positive and good within you so you powerfully and authentically become the best version of yourself. Remember to visit our website at www.findyourleadershipconfidence.com and enjoy even more great episodes like this one. Again, while you're here, subscribe to us via your favorite network. We look forward to seeing you next time on the Find Your Leadership Confidence Podcast.